gracious God, please still our hearts and draw us to thyself in these moments now. Lord, please be with us as we uh, gather to worship thee. Oh Lord, help us to understand our position and understand a little about the God to whom we come. Oh Lord, we come pleading the merits and the perfection and the grace and the favour of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank thee for him. We thank thee for thy wonderful plan uh, to restore sinful creatures such as ourselves to thyself. We thank thee for the Son who was willing to carry it out. We thank thee for the Holy Spirit who has opened our eyes to see the beauty of him and the, our great need of him. Oh Lord, please be with us. Help us to worship thee in spirit and in truth. May thy word be proclaimed, nothing more than thy word. May it do us good. May we be encouraged. May we be challenged and may we be drawn closer to thee. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, please take your hymn books and turn with me to hymn number 83. 83. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that firm remains on high, the everlasting throne of him who formed the earth and sky? Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. This is a psalm written by Asaph. It's got a title in my Bible of the fate of the wicked. Psalm 73, and we'll read the entire psalm. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as of a are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish 
when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them, and they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued, and chastened every morning, If I say I will speak thus, behold, I I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? There is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion for ever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish, Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. Amen. Let's sing together the second hymn, which is the second hymn in the book. Hymn number two. Behold Jehovah's awful throne, ye nations, Bow with sacred joy. Know that the Lord is God alone. He can create and he destroy.
before we pray together, please turn with me to Revelation chapter 21. We'll just read the first eight verses in this chapter. We'll be looking at that psalm that we read, Psalm 73. And it begins with a a man who's very discouraged by what he sees all around him. His faith is wavering, and because he's looking only at the temporal. So I thought it appropriate to read these verses, a little glimpse into the future of all those that do love the Lord. Revelation 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, For these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable of murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. How much better it will be, how much better it is to be named among God's people. Let's seek his face in prayer. Lord and Father, our God and our King, in the quietness of these moments, please reveal thyself to our hearts. Oh Lord, we long to see a glimpse of thee and of thy glory. We know that we are sinful. We know that it has to be shielded from us. And yet we long to see thee as thou art. Open our eyes to see thy word and to understand it. May we see in it thyself. May our our eyes and our affections be drawn heavenwards this evening. Our Lord, may we set aside all things of earth, the things that are good of earth, and the things that seem to be evil and ill. Our Lord, help us to set them aside. May they fade uh, and grow strangely dim in the light of thy glory and grace. We thank Thee for this gathering. We thank Thee for this building and for the people that make up this church, Thy church, Thy people, Thy family. And what a precious thing it is. And Lord, we pray that this church would be, uh, each member would be uh, growing ever stronger in their faith and in their walk with Thee. Knit this church and fellowship together in love for each other, and for Thee. Oh Lord, we know that uh, in ourselves we do display uh, sin very often and things that do not bring honour to Thee. But as we look at our brothers and sisters, may we see the Lord Jesus Christ in them. And if we cannot love them, may we love Him and what we see of Him in each other. Oh Lord, we pray that Thou would help us to set aside our own pride in all of thy churches. O Lord, we know that uh, we often think far too much of our own thoughts and our own opinions. Help us to think more of each other. 
And Lord, help us to have a blind eye and a deaf ear so that we may be knit together. Lord, help us not to forget our purpose. Lord, we, uh, we don't want to leave that first love, the, the love of Thee, the love of the Gospel, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may we never just come to church to do church. May we come to meet with Thee. Do meet with us this evening, we plead. Oh, Father, please help us all in our own individual walks. Lord, we can put on a display in these meetings, but thou knowest our hearts. Oh, Lord, please draw us closer to thee, every single one of us in our private moments, in our secret moments. We pray this week it will be a week where we, uh, where we are growing, where we are uh, striving and seeking after holiness, where we are befriending thee and searching the scriptures for what more we can discover about thee. Oh Lord, may we never just be faking it. And Lord, if there are any of us that need to be restored, gently restore us, we pray. Do not let us blindly follow uh, another affection. Oh Lord, may we have all of our joy from thee, nowhere else. May we have all our security from thee and nowhere else. May we have everything from thee. And if we go for hours without thinking of thee, O Lord, call us up. Bring to remembrance how thou hast dealt with us bountifully and mercifully and melt our hearts in gratitude and praise. Lord, we we, uh, pray that thou would be with uh, the preaching that has gone out from this pulpit in, in weeks and months past. Those seeds that have been scattered Oh Lord, we pray and we long to see fruit from them in each one of our hearts. May they bear fruit. Lord, bless the preaching, those words that have gone out and uh, have sunk and penetrated into our hearts and the hearts of all that have sat in these chairs. And Lord, may it, uh, may it keep on chipping away and working away at our souls, cleansing, cleansing us of sin and drawing us to the Saviour. We pray for all of thy ministers today who will faithfully preach thy name. Lord, it is weak and it is foolish, and yet it is thy appointed means. Add thy blessing. O Lord, we know that uh, without thee, the very best thing that can happen in a pulpit is a display of what man can do. And Lord, that may impress men, but it will draw nobody to thee. And Lord, we pray that that may not be the case here. Lord, may may, uh, we... May we leave this place with only thy voice ringing in our ears. Lord, we, uh, we do pray again for our country and our countrymen. Oh Lord, it's discouraging sometimes we pray and pray, and yet it seems that there is not very much, not very much evidence of answer. Oh Lord, forgive us for those moments where we think like that. But Lord, we pray for, for those who we know and who we love, who despise Thee and who, who have no interest in Thee. We pray for those whose lives seem to be going just the way they want, and yet it is without Thee. We know it will come to an end. And Lord, we fear for them, for what, for what awaits them. We pray especially for the elderly, who we know and who we do not know where they stand grandparents perhaps, parents, friends. Oh Lord, those that who, who, whose time surely is running out, oh Lord, please break into their hearts. They have a, a lifetime of sin and of, of resistance and of walls that have been, broken, uh, have been built up. Lord, break them down. And we pray that there would be those among the, among the elderly who are moved irresistibly to have to state that they have discovered thee or that thou hast discovered them and saved them. Lord, we, uh, we, we do pray for the children and young people in our society, those that are fed uh, temptation and sin. They are fed the lie that they can take what they want and get away with it as long as they don't hurt anybody else. Oh, Lord, we can look around and see many people destroying themselves, sucking in the wares of the devil. And, Lord, it grieves us. We do not judge them, for we know that Apart from thy grace, we would be among the very worst of them. And yet, Lord, we pray that thou would arrest 
that situation. That those who are just spiraling out of control in sin, that they would be stopped. That they would be moved to walk into a place like this one. That they would see the sign. They would realize that they are greatly in need. That they would know that they're going to discover something about a man named Jesus. And may they meet him here. Oh Lord, bring people through these doors. People from this town. People who are careless today. May they not be careless uh, tomorrow. May they uh, be moved to come in here and hear the gospel. Lord, please, uh, please do help us now. Help us as we turn to thy word. We need thy blessing. We need thy help. We need the Holy Spirit. And we seek it. Please pour it out among us. Walk, as it were, among these chairs. Uh, comforting and dealing with us as thou seest fit. We look to thee. We need thee. Lord, grant thy presence and thy help. We seek it with the forgiveness of our many sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we turn back to God's word, let's sing together uh, hymn number 72. 72. What was it, O our God, led thee to give thy Son, to yield thy well-beloved for us, by sin undone. It was love unbounded led thee thus, to give thy well-beloved for us. I invite you to join me in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. And I'll read verses 16 and 17. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. There are many things that cause us pain in this life. There are physical things, physical pain. When we touch fire or heat, it causes us pain. Broken bones, 
a headache after we've had a bump. It causes us physical pain. There's neurological pain where we can't really put our finger on it, but there's something in our head that is causing us great pain and great discomfort. There's emotional pain. We will all suffer emotional pain at many points in our life. Disappointment, being let down, being betrayed by those who we love, heartache, loss of loved ones. It pains us emotionally. And then there is spiritual pain, doubt, lack of faith, temptation. It brings us pain. Asaph was a man who was suffering spiritual pain in this psalm. Asaph was a famous man. He was what you might call a worship leader in those days. He served in the tabernacle. He was from a line of people that served in the tabernacle. He was a Levite. He was a psalmist. He penned psalms written by other men and he wrote his own. He was one of three senior singers in the old tabernacle. Very important man. He was a godly man. He was a knowledgeable man. He was a mature believer. And yet in our text today, there is something on his heart that is bringing him great pain and great anguish. We're going to discover what that is. He starts out in verse 1 with this wonderful statement. It's a statement that we must all agree with. God is good. God is good. He's good to all people. Creation shows that God is good. He sustains Life, he is good. Our hearts are beating because God is good. The laws that he has given us reveal that he is good. We're in church today because God is good. We have a Bible because God is good. The health and strength that we have in whatever measure is given to us because God is good. He is good to Israel. Israel there, it means God's chosen people. In our times, those are God's elect, those who are members of his church. And God is especially good to his people, those who are clean, even such as are of a clean heart. Not just clean on the outside, but those who have been cleaned on the inside by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, applied by the Holy Spirit. Truly, God is good. This is his thesis statement of this psalm. God is good. And we can all say that. But, even with Asaph's deep-rooted knowledge, even with his maturity, Asaph nearly lost sight of this truth. He nearly lost his way. In verse 2, we have this picture of the spiritual, spiritual walk We're familiar with that, thanks to John Bunyan, but the idea that our life is a journey. We are walking. But he says, as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He nearly all came crashing down for Asaph. What was the cause? Well, that gives us our first heading, and we find it in verse 3. His envious heart. He had an envious heart. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Asaph looked around him at the people among whom he lived, specifically those who lived without a care for their soul, without any care for their God, without any desire to live a holy life. He looked at them and for a moment he envied them. He envied them. He was envious when he saw the prosperity of the wicked, we need to note that it's because he saw them. In Holy War, I'm sure we're familiar with it, there are those five gates, those five senses through which things can come into our, into our soul, our eyes, our ears, etc. He used his eye gate. It's so dangerous. 
when we give our earthly senses a priority over our faith. That's what he did here. He looked around. And what did he see? Well, he saw wicked people, godless people, prospering. People that lived their lives without God. And they seemed to be having a wonderful time. They were living their lives without God and there seemed to be no repercussions. They seemed to be enjoying their life, in fact, far more than Asaph was enjoying his life. And our eyes are bombarded with exactly the same presentation today. Those of us who are foolish enough to be on, it, on social media will see many, many people living the high life, posting photos of them living a wonderful life, a beautiful life, and getting away with it. They have no desire to live a holy life, we can look on YouTube and see people living and enjoying their life. And it looks mighty fine, doesn't it? If we turn on our TV, one of the most dangerous things about TV programs and sitcoms isn't that they are, whether they contain inerrant blasphemy or nudity or whatever, but they'll all show people living a life without any care for their God and getting away with it. The adverts that we see, they tell us, you need this. You'll be happy if you have this drink in your hand. If you're sitting in this car, if you're wearing these clothes, then you'll be happy. Look at these people. They're doing it and they're fine. We aren't unaffected by what we see. And he envies the foolish. This word envy, it conveys desire and longing. He wanted what his worldly peers had. And what is it that they had? Well, there's a list here. We'll, go, we'll run through it very quickly. In verse 4, we read, there are no bands in their death. We may think that people may live how they want, but surely, when death comes, surely God will really make them terrified. But that isn't always the case, is it? There are many... Wicked people who face down death. And it doesn't really seem to affect them. The idea of bands there means pressure. And they go to their death, go to their deathbeds, and they're casual. They'll say they had a good innings. Never mind. How can that be? It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem as they suffer the displeasure and the wrath of God for the life that they have lived. In verse 5, they give the appearance of trouble-free lives. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. They are happy and healthy. Perhaps they are even better than the Christians, than those who do love the Lord. Now, that's not always the case. But the thing is, when we envy, we tend to put on these spectacles that magnify all the good things and cover all of the bad things in other people's lives. And he looks around and it, sees, it seems that they have everything better than he's got it. This reminds me of Job. There's a whole book given to somebody, somebody that loved the Lord and who was given a very difficult time. There's a verse in Job chapter 21. It's verse 7 where he asks this question. Wherefore do the wicked live, become old, yea, are mighty in power? Their seed is established in their sight with them. Their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. Their bull gendereth and faileth not. Their cow calveth and casteth not her calf. They send forth their little ones like a flock and their children dance. Why do the worldly prosper? Why is it that they seem to live the high life without any problems? In verse 6, we see that they are proud. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Because of their prosperity, they wear their pride like jewellery. Now, the Christian has to fight against pride. It comes into us very easily, and we're fighting against it. We're trying to crush it, and it's hard work. It's sweaty work. And yet, for the worldly, pride is just an adornment. It adds to their allure. They're so confident in themselves. It's embraced and displayed as a decorative thing. 
Violence covereth them as a garment. Cruelty and injustice are normalized. These people, they seem only to serve themselves. They're destitute for sympathy for those weaker than themselves. Unborn souls and unwanted souls are disposed of, children neglected, the elderly forgotten, and yet there's no consequences. They prosper. In verse 7, their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They've indulged in pleasure and leisure more than it's even thought possible. Their eyes stand out. They have more than their heart could wish. Perhaps when they were young, they thought they'd be satisfied with one figure of wealth. And they've got more than that. Perhaps they thought they'd be satisfied with one one night stand. And then a hundred later, their eyes are standing out with fatness. They have more than their heart could desire. If their heart desires something, then they are free to pursue it without restriction. They're corrupt in verse 8. That means mocking. It would be, it would be better translated as mockers. They laugh. They laugh at the misfortune of others. They mock God and his people. They speak as if they are the new power. They are the new law. They set their mouth against the heavens. In verse 9, this is very specific. They are deliberate in their hostility to God and all things that please God. We can see that around us, can't we, today? God's name is cursed by children, by people all over the place, on the radio stations. It's just accepted now. His people are mocked. Credit for his creation is stolen. His hand in history is not acknowledged. His laws are scorned. His method of salvation is despised. His judgments are ignored. And his gospel is ridiculed. And yet, in verse 9, their tongue walketh through the earth. They're free to go about their business without restraint, without limit. And this is the picture that Asaph sees. And we can sympathize with it, can't we? We can see that picture. In verse 10, it's a tricky verse. Therefore his people return hither. This is God's people. Throughout the ages, God's people have continually been brought to this point where they look around them and they are confused. They are assaulted by this uncomfortable truth that it seems as if living a godless life shows every sign of being more rewarding than living a life of faith. God's people return to this path, troubled, discouraged to the point of tears. In verse 11, there are these questions. They say, how does God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Does God even know? Does God even care about this situation? Is he even able to do anything about it? This isn't just a question that Asaph asked. Job asked the same question. Right, right at the beginning of the records of the Bible, Jeremiah asked a similar question. In, ver- in chapter 12, we read this, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee, yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are all they, wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root, they grow. Yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near their mouth and far from their reins. How are they getting away with it? And Asaph's brought to this very low place. In verse 12, 12, 12 through 14, he's basically saying, the ungodly prosper. What's the point? of me trying to live a pure life. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. I've washed my hands in innocency or pointlessly. What's the point of it all? Why am I trying to live a life of faith? Why am I striving after holiness? Does it really pay to seek after God? Or have I wasted my time? 
it seems as if the ungodly are on the winning side. And those that are trying and striving to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, it seems as if they're losing the battle. How powerful this line of thinking is if we entertain it. This is similar to Satan's temptation of Eve. You can take the fruit. You'll be fine. You can take it. You'll survive. You'll even thrive. You don't need to listen to God and stay within his restrictions. It's the same line of thought. And can anyone here say that they've never been drawn into thinking like this? Even for a moment or perhaps even a sustained period of time. I believe if we are honest, we've all looked enviously sometimes at the wicked. The devil will always dress up his goods in this way. He will cover his poisonous fruit in the sweetest of sugar. He has the most beautiful and welcoming front room to invite us in that is simply a front for his chambers of horror and imprisonment. The lips of the harlot in Proverbs 5 are dripping with honey and yet her end is bitter as wormwood. We need to be on our guard at looking with these short-term lenses around us at the prosperity of the wicked. But we are, we do notice it, don't we? And Asaph says in verse 15, he's torn up inside. He's been worn down by what he's observed. He has all these feelings inside him of envy and of bitterness against God. But he doesn't want to voice his, his sentiments. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generations of thy children. He knows if he says this, if he says God is good but I've got some problems, well, it has the potential to cause a lot of trouble. He doesn't want to say it. He doesn't want to own the way he's feeling. He knows it has the potential to do great damage to his fellow believers and especially to those who are weak in the faith. So he bottles up these feelings. And perhaps we can say with our mouth, truly God is good, but in our hearts we are saying, I'm struggling to see it. Well, thankfully, the psalm doesn't end here. Which brings us to the pivot point, the hinge of this psalm, which is in verse 16 and 17. When I thought to know this, it was too painful. He's almost at breaking point. It's too painful. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. And that's our second heading. We've got an envious heart and now we've got an encountered holiness. Until he went into the sanctuary of God. Until he entered into God's presence. We can imagine Asaph on a Sabbath day doing his duty, leading the worship, all the while feeling empty and hypocritical. He's singing the words, but he's doubting it. He's full of confusion. And then he sits down and he hears a sermon. He hears God's word being read. He enters into the presence of God. And it's as if a light bulb goes on. In the next few verses, it's like a camera that's panning out and zooming out. And he was so focused upon looking around him at the men and the people around him. And as the scale gets bigger and as it zooms out past England, past the world, past the stars, and he has a moment of sitting in the presence of God, he understands. He understands. He understands their end. He understands that the wicked are permitted to roam free for a while. <clears throat> One illustration I read says this that the wicked are like animals being fattened for the slaughter. Imagine being a turkey at Christmas. And then you look over the fence and you see there's another turkey and he's getting double food. And he's getting all the best food. Now you wouldn't envy that turkey because you know that their best life is now and you know what is coming especially if it's December. Jeremiah, again, if we carry on reading, gives us that sentiment in that chapter, chapter 12. 
We read in verse 3, But thou, O Lord, knowest me, thou hast seen me, and tried my heart towards thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Prepare them for the day of slaughter. Asaph, you see, he took his eyes off of God to look around him, to peek over the fence, as it were. But now his attention is drawn back to God. Everything falls into place. And this is the remedy for a despondent, envious heart. Entering into the presence of God and all will be well. We enter his presence here at church. They might seem a strange thing, a little building with a few people. But God has promised that an extra measure of his presence will be here when we gather together to worship him. And if we neglect that, we leave ourselves open. Don't neglect meeting at church. We enter into God's presence when we read his word, when we listen, when we shut away all the busyness and every other distraction and we open God's word and listen to what he has to say. We, dwell, we sit in his presence and we enter into his presence when we pray. We have to believe that when we pray, our words are penetrating the ceiling, that we are actually in audience with the King of Kings. What a wonderful thought that is, one that I certainly haven't grasped fully, to be able to talk to the King of creation. And we need to hold on to this truth, and we need to all frequent the presence of God in order to preserve us from this whirlpool of negativity that Asaph entered, it infected him, We need to realize and look around that we have nothing to be envious of. The third thing I'd like to notice is the 11th hour. The 11th hour, verse 18 to 20. Because that's exactly what all who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, it's exactly what they're living in. Their 11th hour. They better live the high life. They better enjoy all that they have because the clock of their life could strike midnight at any moment and then they will have nothing. The rich fool springs to mind. He was enjoying himself, let's eat, drink and be merry and God said, you fool, tonight I require your soul who's living in the 11th hour. And it's not by accident that any soul will enter into eternity In verse 18, surely thou did set them in slippery places. God has put them there. Like Pharaoh who was raised up to be judged. God has set the wicked and set the worldly in slippery places. Places where one wrong turn, they will lose their footing. It will go out from beneath them and they will slide down as down a cliff face with nothing to hold on to. No foothold, down, 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 into death and into hell. He's not only set them in slippery places, but we read that thou castest them down into destruction. That word cast, it's it's as if he will give them that final push. It's a violent word. It's an aggressive word. He will push them into destruction, to complete loss of everything to emptiness, to regret, humiliation and suffering. And it's in a moment, in verse 19, they are brought into desolation as in a moment. Our lives hang by the finest of threads. And for the ungodly, if that thread breaks, they are utterly consumed with terrors. Hell awaits them, not for ten years, Not for a hundred years, not for a thousand years, or a million years, but forever. In verse 20, we read this interesting word, a dream. A dream when one awaketh. Their life is like a dream. How is it like a dream? What does he mean? Well, firstly, it's an illusion, really. A dream is full of unreality and illusion, isn't it? In a dream, you can flap your wings and fly off as an eagle. You can pilot planes. You can play cricket for England. 
And these things seem very tangible, very substantial, and yet they are not. And the life of worldliness is full of these illusions. Wealth, it's an illusion. Slips through our fingers. Health, people spend many, many hours maintaining their health and their strength and it can be taken from them in a moment. Beauty, it fades. Power, it fades. It's an illusion. It's like a dream. It's like a dream because it's very brief. In a dream, it can seem as if days and weeks and months can pass in a dream. In reality, it's a few seconds. And our earthly existence, in the scheme of eternity, is a tiny flash in the pan. And it's limited. A dream is limited. They all terminate. They all end. We may wake with a start, from a bad dream, we may sort of remain in a sort of sleepy state and try to get back into a good dream, but we can't. It's ended. It's gone. And every soul will awake from their earthly life, either by being awakened by the Holy Spirit into newness of life, or they will wake up to be presented at the great white throne of judgment. But we will wake up from this dream My friend, I have to say, if there is somebody here, currently only living for the temporal, only living to satisfy their five physical senses, listen to the warning of God's word. You're on borrowed time. Your end hardly bears thinking about. But it is not too late. The Lord Jesus Christ died on a cross to create a way for us to escape destruction. He stands in heaven now, eager and ready to welcome every one of us into his protection. And family, he will give us a love for him if we can't find it ourselves. He will send the Holy Spirit into our hearts to wean us from the sins that at the moment we love. If only we would direct our attention to him and apply for his grace. Do it today if you haven't already. Do it now. Run to him and ask for his forgiveness. His help, the clock is ticking towards midnight for your soul and mine. When Asaph grasps this truth, this 11th hour truth, he has an experienced humility. In verse 21, Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. He is deeply humbled, He's grieved, he is hurt, but in a different way. This is the only response appropriate when he has doubted God, when he has coveted the lot of the godless. He's been, under, he's been awakened, he now understands their end, and he says, I was a fool. I was a fool to have thought in that way. It was so ignorant of me. I was as a beast, a stupid, stubborn Simple creature, trusting only their animal instincts. He thought the grass was greener on the other side for a few moments. But now he's seen the grass. It's not green, it's not even brown, it's on fire. And sometimes when we see the bigger picture, we have to admit that we were wrong in our judgment. It was foolish of us to envy the world, even for an instant. I remember growing up, and envying my friend's privileges. I didn't understand why they were allowed chicken nuggets and chips every day and I had to have vegetables. It didn't seem fair. They were allowed to watch films that were 18 plus and I was only eight. doesn't seem fair. Why was I only ever allowed 40 minutes on the computer and they were allowed all evening? doesn't seem fair. If their dad came to pick them up on a Friday, I knew they were going to the cinema and then bowling. If my dad came and picked me up, it meant I was going to work. Didn't seem fair. But looking back now, and I resented that, but looking back now, I see that it was for my good. I have to acknowledge that I was wrong. I was foolish in my resentment and my envy 
for their lifestyle. Verse 23, there's a wonderful word. Nevertheless, despite his foolishness, despite his weakness, despite his failure and his fickleness, well, look what God's got in store for him. This eternal heritage. In verse 23, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. The blessings of the child of God, the continued presence of God. To be able to live life, whatever it may throw at us, knowing that the everlasting arms are right beneath us. That's far better, isn't it? Knowing that Christ will never leave us or forsake us. He remembers that his hand is being supported by the Almighty God. He is protected and guided. In verse 24, thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. He's guided by the one who guides the stars in their courses above. He will be led from this world into the next and received in glory. The end of verse 24. These are the sentiments of Psalm 23, aren't they? The guidance of God, the rod and the staff, and heaven to crown it all. This is why, with this great guide, this great friend, this is why in verse 2, his feet were only ever almost gone. His steps had only nearly slipped. Because God was always with him. He couldn't actually slip. His steps were never going to be completely gone. Because God was with him. Contrast that with the fate of the wicked. Set in slippery places with nobody to hold on to. My dear believing friend, how rich a lot is ours. Verse 25 he acknowledges his complete dependence upon God. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And the joy of that dependence. Earlier he envied the, the, the foolish. Now there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. Other things may be desirable, yes, for a little moment. But they pale into insignificance when compared to knowing God. And in verse 26, yes, his flesh may fail. My flesh and my heart faileth. Those plagues may come. But God is the strength of my heart. Difficulties, sicknesses may come to the believer through God's providence. But the believer is never alone. This world has chosen to live without God. So they will suffer without God. But God will give his children strength. He will provide everything they need. He will not desert them. He will be their portion, not only temporarily, but forever. God is my portion forever, verse 26, into eternity. Those, in verse 27, those that have lived their lives for themselves, they will perish. Those that have deserted God, have gone a-whoring from him, they will be destroyed eventually unless they return. But Asaph... The believer, the child of God, well, he will draw near to God. He will live close to God. He will study his word. He will draw near in prayer. He will trust in his heavenly Father from this life and in the next. It is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. All his works. That's the duty of the believer. Those that are in glory, they are declaring all of God's works. That's the duty of us still lingering here on earth to declare that all of his works are good. That God is good. His works that have blessed us, yes. Those works too that have been difficult. God is good. That thesis statement made in verse 1, it does stand. God is good. Can we say that? Can you say that? 
Do we mean it? Have we grown envious of this world? Have we noticed the ease in which unrepentant souls live? Have we been discouraged by it? Have we looked at our own lot for a while and thought it's a difficult lot? Where has our attention been this past week? Which world have we been living for? Well, let's once again flee to the presence of God, see their end and see our end, and be thankful. Let's flee to Christ. Let's worship him and seek his presence. Let's remember, every single one of us, this world is a sinking ship. And yet we have been dragged to safety by a wonderful saviour. We would not envy those stuck on that ship, even if they had a cocktail in hand. Money in their wallets and smiles on their faces, we wouldn't envy them, would we? Well, let's tear our eyes off of the world, fix them upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and follow him. Amen. Shall we close in singing hymn number 746? Be still, my soul. The Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Thy best, thy heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end.
keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Saviour, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen.